Blog Talk Radio. Funky Writers Show, all about the funk of writing. I'm your host and navigator, Robert Batista, author of the seminal novel Brooklyn Story and powerful novella Carmela's Dream. The Funky Writers Show has been called the most informative, eclectic outlet for all wordsmiths and literati. Now celebrating seven years of dynamic Writers Talk Radio. Why is the Funky Writer Show so terrific? Because I'm a writer just like my guests and know that words are the breath of life. Connect with me on my exciting Twitter page by going to at the Funky Writer. We are extremely proud to have on our show writer, musician, urban cyclist, car-free enthusiast, and foodie, Michael Cody. Welcome, Michael Cody, to the Funky Writers Show. Hey there, Robert. Happy Halloween. Hey, let's get funky on Halloween. Oh, man, you couldn't ask for anything better. Michael, I'd like to start at the beginning and discuss the germination and fruition of your first book, The Urban Bike. Build as a personal journey into the joys and challenges of a car-free lifestyle. Talk to me about how this book was created and how did you get it published? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, um, you know, I've been thinking about doing some writing, and um, I had uh, gotten into, well, gotten away from driving, just cars in general, and um started biking everywhere and using public transportation and that kind of thing. And um, about the same time, this whole Amazon thing started hitting and this whole indie author thing. So being a reader my whole life, um, and, and I guess you always have that little thing, and that little voice in the back of your mind, you know, telling you, hey, write a book. Hey, write a book. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so, so um, you know, this one, one time I listened and decided, hey, I'm going to, try writing a book. So um, I, it was a little intimidating, but uh, there's a lot of information out there. So I spent a lot of time on right. Google and all that good stuff. And uh, um, and, I, and I guess the first, the first thing you have to decide is, well, what are you going to write? And um, I really wanted to write fiction. I wanted to tell stories. Um, but that was very intimidating. So I decided, well, why don't I try something that I know hopefully a little bit about and that I can just 
sort of tell my story and at the same time um, sort of welcome hopefully some other people who are interested in this subject into it and see what happens. And, and that's kind of what happened. That's how that book came about. And I, I was lucky enough to find a, a, um, um, some people to help me out with uh, you know, the, the, the mechanics of it and that kind of thing and got into a program called Scrivener. I uh, knew nothing about it and decided just to, you know, dive in head first anyway and just jump in there and, and just do it. So I did. Scrivener. Um, I've been hearing a lot about it. Uh, can you, in a quick nutshell, uh, talk about what that is? Sure. Well, well Scrivener is a, is a writing program, and a lot of people try to compare it to, to Word, which everybody knows about. And uh, what what I like to say is that Word is a word processor, and Scrivener is a a, a full fledged writing tool. You can keep all of your research there. You can you can move things around at will. I don't tend to always write linearly. Um, sometimes a chapter of a book will just come about, and later you you know I decide that well that's not the best place for it, and I want to move it. Well, in Word, uh, that's not an easy thing to do. But in Scrivener it is, and and Scrivener just it, it was it was put together by a writer, and there are a lot of really great tools in there that help you do that job um, really well and and kind of easily. Wow, that's that's good to hear, and I'm sure the listeners of the show uh, to the show uh, will really like that. Now, is there a charge for that, or is that free, Scrivener? Um, Scrivener will give you a 30-day trial, which um, is is a true 30-day. I'm starting to sound like a salesman here, man, but I promise I'm not. I just like the program a lot, and I I, I, I advise people to try it if they're interested in writing. But they'll give you a 30-day a, a trial, and it's a true 30-day trial. So if you only open it, you know, like one day during a month, you've got another 29 days. And then I believe oh, – okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool, um, uh, and I believe it costs. It's about forty five dollars full price. It's on sale pretty often. You can pick it up, and I know I, I paid full price for it, and I I promise you, I've never regretted it a second. Never ever. It's really great. Good to know. Thank you, Michael. So um, moving on. So you then polish, publish rather, a sort of follow up book called. Urban Bike Stories, Real People Living Car-Free. Which are the stories of 23 people who live the urban bicycle lifestyle? Michael, take me through the process of how you found and put these 23 stories together for such a great testimonial to this great way of life. Well, I actually found quite a few people because they contacted me. From from the right. first book, or or just through you know bike friends and that kind of thing, um, I was I was kind of shocked that there were so many people out there that were so interested in that and so just really into it. Um, at the time, now I'm not so shocked anymore because it's it just makes a lot of sense to me. But um, I found a, quite a few on Twitter. I, I put out you know a couple little blasts. I put uh, some notes on my website and said, "Hey, if you know if, if this is if this sounds like you, I'd like to chat with you." And so, right. Um, so that's what I did. I had just kind of inundated with a lot of people, or or someone recommending somebody. You know, my friend Bob. He's been writing 
bikes and haven't owned a car in 30 years and all this kind of, just everything. And I was pretty fascinated by it, and I finally just decided that I was, I was, I didn't know how I was going to do the book at the beginning, so I decided to just let them be the book. I came up with a list of questions, and I sent out the questions to all these people and said, answer the ones you like, don't answer the ones you don't want to answer or don't like, and that's it. Um, the other thing that I did was that I carried from the first book were the caricature cartoons. Right. So we did caricatures for, for all the, you know, all these people that contributed, you know, to the book with their stories. Um, so I, I sort of stayed out of the way, or at least that was my idea. My idea was to stay, stay out of the story and let them, you know, be what they are to be the story of, you know, what they're doing and how they came to, um, you know, live that lifestyle and, um, you know, and just let them tell it in their own words. So there wasn't a lot of editing either, just, you know, other than really glaring things, but just let them tell the story and they did. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty happy with it. Sounds like it was great fun too. So then Michael, you start with your passion. You switch gears and do a complete 180 and enter the entirely different realm with your book called Where Power Resides. The synopsis is, after the brutal and very public murder of a nationally syndicated Washington Post writer, two FBI agents uncover the existence of the NSA's newest intelligence gathering program and find themselves in a national political tug of war between the powers in office and the powers in actual control. Whoa, real heady stuff and extremely timely with the Edward Snowden affair. How did you come to write this story and how close to home is it to actual events? Well, I'll tell you how I started it. Um, I I told you before that I was a bit intimidated to, um, you know, get into the fiction. And who am I to to write a novel, I guess, you know. But um, actually, I got started through NaNoWriMo, which is about – it actually starts tomorrow this year, which is uh, National uh, Write a Novel Month. They do it every November. It's been going on for years and years. You know what I'm talking about. And uh-huh. I'm sure the listeners do too. So I, I, I decided to to jump into Nano. Um, it was actually before the second book came out, and just see what came out. And so I live in D.C. Um, rife for that type of story. I'm, I'm interested in all this this uh, you know undertones of espionage and all the surveillance and things that that we're seeing nowadays that the NSA has been doing and. You know, all these kind of bad things that, um, uh, you know, are, are actual facts. So um, it, it, was, it was very natural for that to be part of that story, I think, that um, uh, it, it is one of my favorite things for things that I read are books that are very close to reality. You know, you can't get too – if you get if, – if, if you start out with reality, then you can, you know, you can lead the, the reader a little further afoot and tell a story and get a little crazier. But if you start with something that's real, it's a little easier to carry them, I think. Right. This book deals with government spying, interagency conflicts, and even mind control. 
How much research did you do for this book? And in your research, were there any things you discovered which you left, any things you discovered which you felt you could not divulge or write about? Mm, That is a really good question, Robert. Um, I did quite a bit of research. I I knew, you know, off the top of my head about a lot of things um, um, that the the NSA did back in uh, in the 70s. What was that program called? Um, MK? Oh, boy. MK. MK? MK Ultra Program. Exactly. Um, And I'll tell you what I was really surprised by is that program was way, way bigger than they're even admitting uh, these days. It was a huge, right. huge program. Um, and so, so, yeah, I did quite a bit of research, and obviously, you know, I, I wasn't writing a book about research, and so you have to decide how much you want to educate the reader, um, which I don't really, I just want them to be on the same page with me, you know, so we're, we're both starting from the same sort of fundamental knowledge and then go from there. So, so I did quite a bit of research, and I, 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 I guess if I had to say that I wanted to leave anything out, I probably didn't didn't get as bad as some of the things that I found. Right, <laughs> um, right, right. So, you know, and, and also you you don't want it to get in the way of the story because it's still a story. It needs to carry on, and, and if you start getting into these diatribes about. Uh, just you know, background and explanation and that kind of thing. The story kind of starts dragging. And, uh, right, and right. Uh, so I didn't want to go there, but um, yeah, that's probably it. I just don't want to get you know, you don't want to tell them just enough to carry them along, so they understand you know where you're coming from. Yeah, that makes sense, Michael. Michael, one five star Amazon review by Ann Stanmore states of your book: This is often. There is often a talk of a page turner. Well, this really is one. I was gripped right to the end. Fast action, plenty of twists. Who are the real guilty ones? Lots to keep you turning the pages, and in my case, burning the midnight oil. Excellent book. Definitely to be recommended. I look forward to reading more by this author. Wow. So according to this review, you definitely did your job as a writer. Wouldn't you say so, Michael? <laughs> well, it sounded like it. I'm, I'm really glad. It's great to hear when uh, when someone enjoys your work, your story. That's really flattering and, and, and really fun. Are you really moved by either a positive or a negative review, or does that really matter to you? I think it, it, it may be the most important thing you know we love to sell books it's great but i get a huge kick out of you know getting an email or getting a tweet i've had people go to a lot of trouble to get in touch with me before it was right. um a little easier like it is now I've, I've sort of made some changes but it's easier to get in touch with me now and and people went to a lot of trouble to like send me emails and send me tweets and things like that to say hey i got your book and i liked it you know, and that's just kind of awesome. You know, you spend all those hours, you know, clicking away and clicking away and going, oh, is this any good? Is this any good? And it's, it's, yeah, it's really nice. It's really, really nice. 
Yeah, there's nothing better than that, Michael. And you never, never, as an author, get tired of it. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could. That's the, that's yeah, the best part. Exactly. This brings us to your latest endeavor in the Power Series, Power of Gods, Power Series, Book Two. Michael, my first question is, does this book begin where book one leaves off, or did you jump into a whole new concept? It's a little of both. Um, I wanted both books and all the books of this series to stand alone so that a reader could pick up any of them and read them and have a, a story and not kind of get cheated and, and say, oh, I've got to get all the books to you know, get the whole story. But they're not that way. They're standalone stories. But the second book absolutely comes in after the after the first book, and the third book will do the same. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something I wanted to know. So, why, Michael, do you think books and movies about the alphabet government agencies and spying and intelligence and espionage are always so popular and regularly find? A vast audience. Wow, that's a great question too. Uh, you know, it's fascinating. It's it's we look at these huge events that that happen, like the Kennedy assassination and things like that. Right, these huge right. things, and and you start looking at the facts and what happened. And you know, we all play the the armchair you know quarterback and go, "Whoa, <laughs> wait a minute." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that can't I know. Be I right. have <laughs> absolutely. You know, how the bullet do that, or you know, how that, or whatever. And and so and, and I tell you, you know what makes it even probably more so is just our our vast access to information. You right. know, when when I was coming up, if you wanted to know something, you went over to your buddy's house who had because he had the encyclopedia, and you you know you they're only a couple of years old, so I got to do a paper. I got to go over there to Roger's house and do the report, and I got I need the encyclopedia. Well, I don't have to do right. that anymore. I can be. I can pick up my phone and I can find out anything, you know, anything. What did what did Bush say today? What did you know? What, what anything? Just any little bit of information I want to find out. Exactly. So exactly. But I think it's a fascinating subject. You know, we we are intrigued. It's that it's that driving past the crash. And rubbernecking because you don't really want to see it. You don't really want to know that that dirty underbelly, and you kind of hope it's not true. But at the same time, you're kind of going, "Hmm, what's the deal?" You know? So, yeah. And what my, are they really doing? Uh huh. And that's and Michael, I'm sure if you Googled the Kennedy assassination, you'd probably come up with about a hundred billion hits. At least. <laughs> well, you mentioned the Kennedy assassination. At least a hundred billion. Um, any, anyway, um, one of the things mentioned in that review, and a theme in so many spy stories, Michael, is at times you really don't know who the real bad and good guys are. And at times, they are interchangeable. It's according to what side of the fence you're on. I guess that's the reality of our current world, wouldn't you say? I think so. I do. I, I, I find a – this is going to sound kind of weird, but I find a, a real fascination with with bad, really evil characters that we are somehow cajoled into rooting for. And I'm thinking of like right. a Hannibal Lecter. 
here's this evil, <laughs> evil, bad person. But, you know, in the movies, at certain points, you're, you're kind of, oh, I hope he gets away, you know? <laughs> and and so it is. It's very confusing that um, um, who is the good guy? Who is the bad guy? And I think a lot of times it, it, it is both. Sometimes the good guy is the bad guy and, you know, vice versa. And we exactly. root for the bad guy sometimes. That's what green sometimes we, Yeah, sometimes we root for the bad guys all the time. It goes even back to the old gangster movies, I remember. I saw an old gangster movie with James Cagney, Public Enemy, where he was ruthless throughout the whole movie, but you, you shed a tear when he gets killed at the end. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's, it's so just, crazy. Like, it's just yeah, it's so relative. So anyway, let's talk about Michael Cody, the person. Where did you grow up, Michael, and what would you say your childhood was like? Were you rebellious as a child, a conformist, or a little bit of both? Oh, I grew up, I was born in Asheville, North Carolina, and we moved to Macon, Georgia when I was pretty young, probably, I guess, five-ish, somewhere right around in there. And I grew up in Macon. Macon is a, a very small town south of Atlanta, Georgia. Right. Very well known for, you know, a lot of music has come out of that area, especially Macon, Georgia. Capricorn Records was in Macon, Georgia. And I guess growing up, let's see, um, very early on, I I got hooked into music. Right. And that was just, wow. That was just, you know, the thing. I wanted to, I loved music, wanted to play music, got into, you know, music programs at school, um, band, jazz band, and all that stuff, and, and just loved it. That was my, you know, that was my reason kind of for going. Um, I wasn't really rebellious per se, I guess, no more than any, you know, teenager who thinks that they know everything. <laughs> um, but I did, um, you know, I loved music, and I wanted, to, I wanted to, to do it. All my friends were at school. I wasn't the one who was cutting class or anything because my friends were there. Right. I got to go play music there. So, um, you know, I, I liked school, and I liked learning things. I liked knowing things that I didn't know before. It's, I've, I've always been a very curious person. So, and I think that helps with my writing because I, I, I start going in different directions, and I'm okay with that because it's like, wow, I wonder, you know, about this, and I can go find out and, maybe make it part of the story or maybe not. Right. So, right. Yeah. Let's get back to your power books. Uh, I want to harp on something you mentioned a little, a little while ago, living in DC, which to many people is the hotbed and epitome of the word power. There should be no end to getting inspiration by just literally looking out of your window. I would guess. Hey, Michael, Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I can look out and see the Capitol Dome from where I live. Um, I am a, a you know fifteen minute little bike ride down to the White House, uh, to you know the National Mall, all this stuff. And um, I think a little subliminally, even you know, traveling, being here, and being around all that stuff, you know, you're right. You are always seeing it. Um, uh, just right there. You don't have to look for it. It's 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 right there. And different things that that I have seen in my commuting and travels and doing whatever have have actually popped up in, especially the first book, 
so absolutely, absolutely living here has, has, has influenced those things. If you've been around D.C. or spent any time here and you read the first book, you will recognize some of the places that, that I talk about. Right. So let me ask what to me is a very pertinent question. In your estimation, Michael, how does how would you define the word power? Hmm. I guess there could be, you know, quite a few ramifications of that. Um, we we exert power different ways. Sometimes we exert it because we are uh, superior in some way, as, as in your boss or. Uh, you know, you're you're the person that you take orders from if you're in the military or something like that. Um, but you know, what? it goes all the way down to more subliminal things. I believe. You know, I'm taller than right. you are. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes a certain race we we decide that, or or they decide that they have a power over you know someone else who's who's maybe be a different race or a different uh, sex, um, that happens. And then that's that's not even touching on things like government and uh, right. uh, people who are holding office and, and things like that, I think. So power can be, you know, the, the, the guy controls you, you, your paycheck or who you're paying your rent to. Or you can, I think it can be a lot of things, and a lot of them are very subtle. Yes, definitely. So uh, switching gears, let's talk social media. I know you're on some of the social media platforms, Twitter and and Facebook and such. Um, are you on these social media platforms, Michael, to turn followers into paying customers, just to network with fans, or or both? It would definitely be both. Um, I stayed away from all that stuff for a really long time. And and finally, with some arm twisting, a friend of mine uh, got me on Facebook several years ago, and I discovered um, that I could track down, or they could track me down, a lot of people that I right. haven't seen in you know maybe twenty years, twenty five years, thirty years. Um, for instance, from from high school in Macon, you know, some of my friends are still there, and I've been gone for quite a long time, and some of them were, you know, we were really close at that time. Um, so, so there's that aspect of it. And, you know, when you get into the whole indie author thing, the people with the uh, self, uh, publishing thing, you become the person who has a lot of hats. We have to wear a lot of hats. We have to do right. everything right. now. We, we don't have a PR person to call necessarily, you know, down at the publishing house who's gonna, um, you know, do the advertising or, or set up that interview, or set up that reading, or whatever. So um, it's it's a necessity. Unfortunately, um, some of it's fun. Sometimes it, it gets a bit tedious. But uh, if, if you, I guess it depends on your 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 meaning of success. You know, what are you what are you trying to do? I like people to read my books. So you have to let them know they're there. So it, it's kind of both. Yes, and it's a never-ending, never-ending <laughs> job that that we do with the with social media. So let me ask you this, Michael: of all of the social media platforms, which one do you feel is the most beneficial for your brand? 
And which, in your estimation, is best for authors? Or does each platform offer its own special compensations? I think you hit it there at the end. Um, I I think none of them are perfect. Um, Some are better at some things than others. For instance, uh, Facebook is a very, very friend-related kind of thing, meaning you know, typically you're, the people that you interact with on Facebook are people that you know. Um, right. right. You know what I mean? So it's, so for, if, you're, if, if your idea is to go sell a book or sell whatever, push, you know, whatever, then that's not necessarily probably the best place to do it. You know, you don't want to be that guy who, oh, God, here comes Mike. He's probably got a new book. Oh, here we go. He knows I only read romance. Come on, you know. So I don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, um, maybe they have a friend who reads thrillers or something like that. So I think it's a subtle right. kind of thing. It's, it's, uh, and, and, and the thing is, it's probably most important is what you'll hear a lot of, not just, you know, authors say, but if it's, it's to help other people. So be, be there for someone else and, that will come around. And I'm a pretty big believer in that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I get questions sometimes about different things, and I, and I go into a lot of effort to try to, to, to help someone out who is wondering, you know, how, how things work or, or what do I know about it. And, you know, sometimes I know nothing about it. But if I do, then, you know, help them out. And Twitter, um, I'm not, I'm not sold on social media for selling anything, to be really honest. I, I don't know that it really works. But okay. if you talk to them, I sold advertising for a while years ago. And, you know, the, the thought is you need impressions. You, just, you need things in front of people. And I think that's kind of the idea of social media maybe, just to say, hey, I'm still here. And guess what? I wrote another book. Um more just to sort of reinforce that kind of thing. Hey, we're still here. Everything's okay. And here's something else you might like. Not necessarily, hey, buy my book. That kind of thing. So it's, it's yeah, how you Michael, use it, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think if if it's a win-win situation, like, you know, retweet, retweet, retweet other people's tweets, you know, push other people's books on Facebook or whatever, you know, Talk up other people's books as well as yourself. It'll all come back to you. And, you know, instead of, as you said, keep saying, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, you know, say, hey, so-and-so has a good book out. Michael Cody's new book is coming out. You know, why don't you check it out? You know, I, I think that it will go a long way. So what's next for Michael Cody? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up, Michael? Oh, well, I am working on the third book of, of this series, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. It's kind of neat when you, you know, you write something and you sort of giggle to yourself and think, ooh, I think that's pretty good, you know, and then they you think it's <laughs> Do you crap. have a title? But <laughs> I, I have a tentative, I do have a title, but I'm not sure if it's going to be the third book or the fourth book, and so I'm not positive um, that, <laughs> that there's even going to be two more books or one more book or five more books. Um, but, it is, <laughs> okay. but, but what I, I know that sounds so so wishy washy. But the, the title is is Power from Within, and oh, I, I've good. got this concept of it. Um, I like but that. 
You know, the way that I write, I am, you know, we, we call it pantsers. I, I do not plot. I do not, um, I, I don't outline. I don't plan. I don't, there's this great scene in one of the Batman movies where the Joker, you know, he's in the hospital with uh, what the, 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 the police sergeant or some guy, and he's blown him up or something. He's about to kill him, and he's, he's, he's talking about plotters and planners and all this stuff, and it's really great. But I'm not a plotter, planner, outliner. I sit down, and I write. And that's what I do. And I, and, and I don't always know what's going to – in fact, most of the time, I don't know what's going to come out. You know, I'm as surprised a couple hours later sometimes – I mean, I'm, I'm surprised because I, I wasn't expecting that. My characters sometimes do things that I did not foresee. And when I first started writing, especially, uh, you know, the, the first novel, um, that was kind of scary because I'm thinking, man, this is, is this, is that the way it's supposed to be? This is really kind of weird. Am I, shouldn't I know what I'm writing? Or, you know, but um, if you read Stephen King's On Writing, which I did after. Uh, right around that time, for the first time, I've read it probably about four times now. He talks about things like that, and so it was a real. Right. Um, I'm sure you, you, you're familiar with the book, probably read it many times, but it's um, it, it was a real. Uh, it, it made me feel pretty good because all these kind of weird things he was ta- he talks about in the book, and so, hey, if it happens to Stephen King, it can't be that bad, you know? Maybe it's okay, so. So I don't always know, but but what's coming up is definitely a third book, um, tentatively Power from Within. It will, they just get the story just keeps getting bigger. It gets bigger. It gets bigger, and that will not stop at all. It, it, it's going to get pretty huge, especially if it gets into a fourth or maybe a fifth book. So, yeah, it's big. A lot of stuff keeps coming out. My bad guys get get worse. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> who who are probably my favorite characters? My favorite characters are the bad guys, you know, because a couple of them are just not nice at all. <laughs> so, and I I think that's kind of you know it's kind of fun because I get to you know here it is it's Halloween today, and I was thinking about this before just earlier today, you know before we started talking, and I'm thinking, man, you know I get Halloween like every day. Because I get to sit down, I get to pretend I'm somebody else. I get to put a suit on if I want to or whatever, and sit down, and I can be this the baddest, meanest, most awful person that I can possibly think of, and I can do the most awful things, and there's no consequences. Nobody gets hurt. And how awesome is I'm, that? It's it is really cool. It's really how cool. awesome. Everybody, yeah. And you know what, Michael? I think that's why so many people are writing now. I mean, it's a deluge of new books, new stories, new writers, new people writing. I think that's the enticement of it. You know, just what you mentioned, just what you mentioned. I mean, how many right. people can do that, can can write from the dark side, can write from another area of their brain, of their soul, of their mind, you know, and, and just uh, with no consequences, just, hey, people, and then even make money in the process. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It doesn't I mean, get exactly. any better than that. 
I agree. I totally agree. And it doesn't it, have to be the bad be. guy. You know, you can be a good guy, I suppose. Yeah. No fine. Yeah, yeah. We want to be bad people. You know, we want to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to. I just want to blow that up. Come on. <laughs> you know, so I can. I can blow it up. And, That's and right. nobody gets hurt and nobody in fact somebody wants to read about it. Somebody wants to kind of go along <laughs> for the ride, right? So I'm like, come on, exactly. you know, my car holds a lot of people. Hop in. Let's go. <laughs> let me let me drive though. I'm driving, at least for a while. So Yeah. <laughs> it's great. So Michael, if someone wants to contact you, um, give out any website, email if you want, or any way that they can get in touch with you. Sure, sure, and and I welcome that. Um, any anytime anyone wants to get in touch with me and just say hi, just say hey, I didn't like this about your book, or I loved this, or you know, hey, I'm stuck two blocks from your house. Can you bring a bike pump over? Whatever. But um, you can <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. I am uh, uh, Mike Cody, author on almost everything. So it's Twitter. You can find me under that. You can find me. I have a website, the same name, uh, MikeCodyAuthor.com. You can find me at Facebook. You know, um, you can find me on Goodreads, and of course, you can find me at Amazon. So um, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find if you have that interest for some reason. I'm, I'm there, and and I'll respond. This has been the Funky Writers Show, the Funky Halloween Show, uh, with a great guest. Uh, and with me, Robert Batista. I'm at author R. Batista on Twitter. You can find my ebooks on smashwords.com and my novels on amazon.com. My guest has been the funny and insightful author. And funny in a real great way because he kept me in stitches. And also an avid bicyclist, Michael Cody. And his latest pot boiler is called Power of Gods. Thank you so much, Michael, for being a guest on the Funky Writer Show. Thank you, Robert. It's been a pleasure. It was a lot of fun getting the funk on. Oh, man, I had a great time. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Happy Halloween, my friend. You too. Bye now.